If you have your Bibles, please let me invite you to turn with me to Luke in chapter 2. Luke in chapter 2. We'll begin reading verses 9 through 11. Luke chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. The text reads, And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, speaking of the the shepherds, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. They were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not. Fear not. Somebody needs to hear that today. Fear not. For behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for not just some people, religious folk, unchurched folk, church folk, de-church folk. How many people? All people. All people. Verse 11, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Father, bless, we pray. Be with us. Holy Spirit, I'm asking for your presence, for your assistance, both with me and also with my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' name, amen. It's almost like everywhere you turn, flip your phone out and sit down in front of the tube and catch some news, uh, there seems to be no limit to bad news. Amen? Doesn't matter what it is. It could be a robbery. It could be a theft. Sadly, rape, abuse, child abductions, wars, rumors of wars, murders, folks' lives taken needlessly. You name it. In any case, it's all bad. It's all bad. And that seems like that's all we got for people these days. So much so, I've almost made it, in fact, not almost, I did. I made a commitment. One of my little morning rituals, I'll talk to you all about my morning rituals, but one of my morning rituals is I don't want to turn on the news, whether that's in a small device or a big device. I don't want to be turning on the news the first thing I do when I wake up. I just don't need it. I just don't need it. I got enough in me to create fear and apprehension and anxiety to battle with all by itself, let alone to compound the matter and, all, and add insult to injury, if you will, and start bringing in stuff and pumping in stuff from all sorts of media. I don't need it. I don't think any of us need it. And I'm afraid that too many of us, sadly, could be waking up that way. Amen? And so hopefully somebody takes this is don't wake up that way. Come up with another ritual. Because bad news is in no short huh, supply. But I'm here to tell you about something else other than bad news. About the good news of the gospel. About the good news that brings great joy. You see, this time in which our Lord, as we see here in Luke's account of Jesus' birth and Jesus' entrance into this world was a time in which it's not too different from our own times where you have political unrest, where you have citizens at odds with one another, where you have people feeling gripped by uncertainty, maybe economic uncertainty, maybe other kinds of uncertainty that you could think of. In any case, it's the same kind of world that Jesus had to be introduced into. I know a lot of times when we, we read this, we think, oh, Jesus came in at a perfect time. Everything was just right. And so it makes perfect sense. No, no. The same world that Jesus had to come into and news had to be brought to is the same world that Jesus needs to be introduced to all over again. I mean, when we look at the world that you live in, I live in, can we say that it's any different? No. And so what's interesting, though, to me is why is it that good news is so scarce in our society? So much so that even when you have a birth like this, 
as glorious as it is, it's surprising to me, almost scary, how much a news like this could have easily, unless, gone overlooked. It's amazing to me how even now, in this day of ours, when this same news still needs to get out there, a news like this, however good it is, could get overlooked. And the only reason why we see that it didn't get overlooked is because of a new character that we see introduced into the story. An angel, the text tells us. Comes to who? Shepherds. The Bible says in verse 9 that an angel of the Lord appeared to these shepherds. And so apparently, as bad as things could have been, here we have some, some good news. But the question you and I have to be asking is, what's so good about it? What's so good about this, this news of ours? Why? What's so good that it would result in, in these men, these shepherds, in verse 20, glorifying God and praising his name because of what they finally heard and saw that they were told? What's so good about it? Three things that I want you to look at before we're done. Number one, good news, this good news, any good news, for it to be good news, announces the end of fear. Good news announces the end of fear. You see, I understand that when these shepherds first were introduced to these angels, they were gripped by fear. There ain't no ending to fear there, is there? That's true. That's true, and we're going to look at that. But don't overlook the fact that who did these angels of the Lord, this angel of the Lord, come to? Shepherds. Shepherds, yeah. The Bible tells us in the Old Testament that shepherds were regarded as an abomination in the eyes of the Egyptians, in many nations. Shepherd is a lowly position. Shepherds were regarded so much so like that by the religious leaders that they wouldn't even allow them to mix their occupation with anything religious. They were, they were kept out exactly where they are in the fields. And here Jesus is with, with this good news, the most significant news that could ever touch the planet. And he entrusts it to who? Shepherds. That's pretty risky in my opinion, if you ask me, but he does. You know, that's, that's not unlikely of our God, is it? In fact, it says in Isaiah chapter 55, my ways are higher. <laughs> they're not like your ways. That's why, because they're higher. My thoughts even are what? Higher. <laughs> in fact, as, as high as the heavens are from the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts from your ways. God's always been in the business of confounding the wisdom of this world. Uh, don't ever let that catch you by surprise. That's, that's his program. That's his MO. That's, that's his kingdom agenda. He's never rolled with the masses. I mean, if you were to ask me, he should have gone to the temple in Jerusalem. Or if you were to ask others, he should have gone to the temple of Herod or somebody prominent. I mean, after all, if you really want to reach the world, you got to save a celebrity. You got to save a, a high figure politician. You've, you've got to save somebody who's significant or important in this world's eyes, we think. But God, on a whole nother program, he says, Oh, right, really? Paul, writing to the church in Corinth, says to them in 1 Corinthians 1 26, Church, Pathway for consider your calling. Just for one moment. Just, just take a second and consider your calling for me real quick. Brothers, not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many of you were powerful. Not many of you were of noble birth. But God, verse 27, chose what is foolish in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are. So that no human being 
might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, pathway, you're in Christ Jesus. Because of his decision to go this route, you are a Christian today. Because of his decision to go this way and not man's way, these shepherds receive this good news. You see, it's good news because if God could come to shepherds obscure, meaningless in the world's eyes, lowly shepherds like these, that means he could come to somebody like me. That if a group of men like these were not ruled out by God, I'm certainly not ruled out by God. Maybe there's somebody here who's had a track record of feeling like I've been overlooked. I'm here to tell you, God's here to pay attention to you. God's here to see you. He's the God who sees. And here these shepherds get a visitation by the Lord. An angel of the Lord comes to them. But at first sight, their initial reaction is, and I don't even fault them, <laughs> it's fear. It's, it's their hearts gripped with, oh no, it's curtains, it's over. In fact, everywhere you look throughout the Old Testament and the New, every time the Lord himself or an angel sent by him appeared, that message always had to be prefaced with, fear not. Angels aren't little babies, chubby, uh, with wings on them, okay? <laughs> Angels are some fierce creatures, according to my book. Angels are some pretty intimidating folk, according to this book. Angels have the ability to induce this kind of fear. But there's another reason why we see fear here in this particular text. Because, I mean, after all, what kind of news do they have so far? Bad news. Bad news. You know people who wear all they have is bad news. And it makes sense why we see nothing but fear in their lives. Guilt is not too far away, and shame is not too far away from fear. A lot of what creates fear in our lives is what we remember, either happening yesterday or yonder years. And unless someone, God, addresses that fear in my life and what that fear points to, that fear is always going to be a part of my life. How many living in a time like this, enjoying a season like this, are still having to enjoy this season gripped by fear when the good news of the gospel is God's put an end to fear. Christ came to put an end to fear. You see, these shepherds and everybody surrounding the events of Jesus' birth, all they had was the news of the Old Testament. This is the first time the book is opening back up again. There's no New Testament. All we got is an Old Testament. For over 400 years, there's been no prophetic voice. For over 400 years, heaven has been shut. For over 400 years since Malachi, God has not been actively involved like he was in his people's lives. For over 400 years, all God's people, any people, have had to go off of with regard to God is how they last saw him, how they last related to him. All these guys have is Mount Sinai. All they can regard, all they can recall is thunder, lightning, judgment condemnation, a law on tablets of stone coming down, this overwhelming sense that this God is holy and I'm not. But there's no other news in addition to that. All they've had was the knowledge of their sins without a remedy. All they've had was the news that they were sinners and God was holy and God was right and worthy and deserving of dealing with them according to their sins. So you could understand why. Anytime you encounter God or you encounter anyone who comes from him, what's the first reaction? Fear. I wouldn't blame them. Because all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But that's not good news, is it? 
to simply know who I am, however true it may be, but not be able to have an answer to my condition is no good news. But Christmas is all about good news. And that's exactly why this angel comes. What would have happened if the angel didn't say, fear not, and everything else that followed? I wonder. And so even though their reaction is fear, what does he tell them? Look at the text with me. The angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. Just imagine that glory of God. And they were filled with great fear. Verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all people. Number one, good news puts an end to all fear. How so? Because Jesus came to address my fear. It doesn't matter whether it came from my own sin. It doesn't matter whether it came from just simply living in the kind of fallen and broken world that we live in. Jesus came to address all my fears. He said in John chapter 14, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't fear. You believe in God? Believe also in me. You see, the reason why I don't have to fear is because if I'm in Christ, there is now, therefore, how much condemnation? None. No condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ, you're a new creation. The old things have passed away. Everything that contributed to fear, everything that produced fear in your life has passed away. And what's come? The new has come. The new has come in your life. The new has come with Jesus. Jesus is ushering in the new with his birth, putting an end to all fear. There's no longer a reason for me to stand on this side. He brought peace between me and God through his blood. You see, Jesus came to be able to deal with the greatest problem that I've got going on that produces this sort of fear. You see, his blood is better than the blood of Abel. That's what Hebrews tells me. The blood of Jesus is better than the blood of Abel. What was the blood of Abel? Remember? What was the blood of Abel crying? Judgment. Condemnation. What was it crying out to Cain? You were wrong. You deserve death. The wages of sin is death. God's in the right. It's coming after you. That was the blood of Abel. There was nothing more to the blood of Abel. Enter Jesus. Chapter 2, Jesus comes in, and his blood on the cross, yes, it deals with sin. Yes, it talks about punishment. Yes, it deals with judgment. Yes, it deals with wrath. But who is it falling on? Not you, on him. That's why it says a better thing than the blood of Abel, because it not only allows me to see my sin properly, it also allows me to see the hope and the forgiveness and the freedom that I have in Christ. You see, the blood of Jesus allows me to be able to know that my sin is not the end of the story, that my past is not what defines me, that I'm not the product of the series of decisions that I've made in my near or distant past. I'm a new creation in Christ Jesus. The blood of Jesus tells me that old things have passed away and the new has come. The blood of Abel doesn't tell me that. It tells me fear. You better be afraid. You better watch out. You better be careful. You better know what to do. You better have an answer for that. You better hide that. But the blood of Jesus says you can be free. You can walk openly. You can be transparent. You can be honest. You could be real. Why? Because I finally found someone who's ultimately addressed my greatest problem in my life, which has brought my greatest fear. My greatest fear. You see, the good news of Jesus entering in to this world of ours is the fact that this fear is over with. Jesus is that greater David that he says here, who came to destroy that Goliath of your fear. Remember, David shows up, and he's looking perplexed, looking at these soldiers of Israel running off in fear, cowering, and seeing this great figure 
that he hasn't ever been able to see before, wondering, what, what is going on here? Don't you know who this is? No. Who is this uncircumcised Philistine who, who defies the armies of the living God? Perspective. Perspective. David saw the same thing they saw, fear. So what was it? He saw more than fear. You know what our problem is? Sometimes all we see is fear. When God is saying, with Jesus being born, you need to now see more than fear. He says, let me at him. And he takes him down with one sling, bringing down this Goliath. You know, the Bible tells us that we worship and serve a greater than David. And that greater than David is Jesus Christ himself. That whole story is not about David, rah, rah, rah. It's about the David that that David ultimately is pointing to, who is now entering into his own creation, who's now about to be born so that he might say, slay, not some man, but my ultimate Goliath of sin, of Satan, and of death, and everything that produces in me, regardless of whether it's Satan, sin, or death. And that's what? Fear. Fear. How many are living with this fear? Some of you say, oh, I'm all right. I'm good, though. You don't understand. I'm, uh, I don't deal with fear like other people. I know that's some people's problem, but, it, well, the question is, who's helping us address our fear? Because it's not enough to, to go to just anything, no matter how much of a temporary solution it is to me, because, number two, good news not only announces the end of fear, good news also announces a savior from sin. No bottle on this earth at Beverages Co. is able to rescue me and save me from my sin. No woman on the planet, no relationship in this world, no job that could ever present itself to me, no pay grade could ever take the place of my savior who came to save me from my sin. And if I think so, it's only offering me a temporary solution. So, yes, some people are keeping at bay their fear. But look at what expense. And Jesus says, not that way. There's only one thing that should address my fear, and that's the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls him here in verse 11, for unto you, verse 11a, for unto you is born this day, in the city of David, a what? A savior. You get that? Unto who? Unto you. Who's the you? The shepherds. Wait a second here. That's wrong, Luke. We needed an edit in the ESV. I don't know about yours, but uh, my Bible just told me. No, he's right. Unto you. Wait a second. How is it unto me? Unto Mary. I ain't never give birth to a baby. What do you mean unto you is born this day? Unto Mary. Get it right, Luke. Unto Mary. Oh, that's how he came into the world. But that wasn't his ultimate purpose. You see, Mary was just being used by God. She was an instrument for a season in God's hands to usher in the Lord of glory. But that was it. John the Baptist says, look, he says, don't you know that your disciples are, are flocking to Jesus? That's all right. That's cool but your numbers are dwindling. That's good. I must decrease. He must increase. That's the context it's in. We often quote that, don't we? I must decrease. He must increase. That's all right. That's exactly what's supposed to happen. I was just a voice. I just brought him in. Okay, I'm good. I did my job. Mary brought him in unto you. You see, Jesus is for all people. The good news of the gospel is for all people, black, white, Jew, Gentile, male, female, young, old, rich, poor. It doesn't matter who we are. Jesus ought to be seen and known and regarded as one who's for all people. And we cannot get that twisted. We cannot claim to observe Christmas and honor Jesus' birth at Christmas but keep him to ourselves. Yes, he had to come through, in and through Mary, but it wasn't supposed to end there. That was God's problem with the children of Israel. 
Yes, I saved you. Yes, I set you apart as a people for me, but so that you might be what? A light to the nations. A priesthood for all the peoples of all the world. But they failed miserably at that. God said, when I picked you, when I chose you, it wasn't because of anything in you. It wasn't because you were lovable. That's the good news of the gospel. We learned that in class today. Amen, class? Not by works which we have done, but according to his mercy, the Bible says, Titus 3, 14. He saved us. He saved us. God said, when I picked you, I could have picked any other nation in the world. It had nothing to do with what you had going on over against the other nations. Uh-uh. We saw that in 1 Corinthians. He says, look at you. <laughs> That's us. Not many of you were, but God has chosen the weak things of this world, the foolish things of this world, to shame the wisdom of this world. That's God's program. And here we see him unto you, unto the shepherds. And everybody else that that represents, that means that's me and you. That's me and you, friend. That's me and you, church. You see, this is a news that is not only comforting for me to receive, it's also important for you and me to understand as far as what does it mean my responsibility is as a Christian. Because sometimes we could treat the church and we could even treat our own Christian lives like a cul-de-sac. What is it about cul-de-sacs? Once you're in them, can't get out. There's no through. That's it. That's it. Unless you want to go through the houses, that's it. And some of us, we got... Our Christian life view like a cul-de-sac. We got a church view like a cul-de-sac. As soon as we get people here, that's it. We're not on mission for God in the world. We're not taking this good news and spreading it around to those who desperately need it. We're not recognizing that God didn't save me so that I can sit. God saved me so that I could be a light and a witness for him wherever I go. Unto you is born this day. Unto you. You see, God, the Father himself could have said, I I was troubled with their sin. I wanted to save them, but you know what? Now that I realize I would have to send my only begotten son, uh uh-uh, I ain't doing that. Forget it. That's my boy, if you will. I don't know how theologically precise that is, but that's that's my son, my eternal son. But Romans 8.32 says, he Speaking of the Father, Romans 8.32, he who did not spare his own son, he did not spare his own son, which means he could have, he could say, uh-uh, who did not spare his own son, but freely gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously, freely give us all things? He didn't spare his own son when he found out what it was going to cost, what it was going to take, what it was going to entail to save you to rescue you, to bring hope to you, to restore joy to you, to bring good news to this world. He realized it was going to take his son. He didn't even spare him. God did that. God didn't even spare his own son. So if that exists with God himself, how much more should that exist with us? I don't want to spare Jesus to the world. Yes, I have him. The father said, yes, I have him. I should say, yes, I have him, but I have him to spread. I have him to make known. That's why I love saying my walk is about knowing Christ and making him known. That's my tagline, knowing Christ and making him known. I can't just know Christ. Oh, I'm just learning, just taking in a bunch of stuff and getting real big and real fat spiritually, but I'm also supposed to be making him Let's make him known in this time of the year, church. Let's make him known that he's the Savior of the world. That no matter who they are, no matter the vilest sinner, no matter where they've been, no matter how long it's been, Jesus saves. Jesus saves. God still saves. God's been in the business of saving. Jesus is still in the business of saving. No matter who you are, there's no sin too great. There's no past too daunting. There's no life too dark for the light of the world. Jesus saves. But not only does the good news announce the end of all fear, not only does the good news 
announce a Savior from sin. Lastly, this good news proclaims or announces the Lord of life. The Lord of life. Look there at the last part of verse 11. He says, this Savior who is Christ huh, the Lord. Who is Christ the Lord. He says, look, don't get it mistaken. Christ, what does Christ mean? Anointed, promised, Messiah. Everything, every prophecy you see in the Old Testament, every mention of this one who's supposed to be coming in the future, that's him. Lord, Adonai. Adonai is the word. Master. It's not the same word as Yahweh with Lord in all caps, but it's getting after the same God. Lord is the same God of the Old Testament. What is Luke trying to say? That the God of the Old Testament is this person who's about to be born. He's both the Christ and the Lord. He fulfills both. He's the promised, anointed Messiah to come, and he's also the Lord. He's the creator. He's God. Has come. Who is Christ? The Lord. You wonder why so many lives are being lived without any sort of meaning and purpose. You see, when you and I were created, we were created to be Lord. Did you know that? Abraham is called Lord by Sarah. I know we don't use that language. My mom used to use it for my dad. Getoch is a way of respecting him and honoring him. Geta, they used to say in the community. If someone is highly respected and so forth, it's just for us Westerners, <laughs> it could be a little too much. Like, hey. some of you women are like, I ain't calling my son who yes, no, no, Lord. He's going to have to do an awful lot. Um, honey? <laughs> no, I'm just playing. Um, but yeah, they, they would call even human beings <clears throat> Lord. They would call them Lord. You see, when we were created, we were created in the image of God. That was, we were created to have dominion, to rule over all the fish of the sea and the beasts of the field. We're supposed to subdue. That's what lords do. We subdue. Things don't control us. We control it. We're supposed to have a life that we lead, and we're supposed to conquer and have dominion and subdue as Lord. And God was supposed to be our Lord. What happened here? We fell. We fell bad. We fell miserably. And therefore, we forfeited our relationship not only with God, but with our purpose. Our purpose. And so that's why we don't have meaning or purpose. You know them. Maybe they're in here. So many of us are living our lives without meaning and purpose. And you want to know how to get back? Jesus has got to be that Lord over your life. You see, if this brings sadness to you, you're not hearing me right. Because this message is good news that brings great joy. Notice, that's not my words. That's the angel's words. Appeared to them, verse 9, the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with, verse 10, and the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. This is good news of great joy. The person who truly sees Jesus and recognizes him for who he is, is prepared to see him as Lord and consider that, count that as pure joy. You know where joy is absent? When I try to be my own Lord in the wrong sense. I know I just said we were created to be Lord, but I try to be Lord independent of the Lordship of Jesus. That's our problem, is when we set out to fulfill one of our requirements without recognizing that God was supposed to be the Lord of your life all the while, though. My prayer is, as we're coming to a close on this Christmas season, this Christmas Sunday, is that you would recognize the good news that's here. Friend, Jesus, he's Lord. This is the good news that God has, God exalted him. God has given him. Yes, he came. Yes, he suffered. Yes, he was threatened. Yes, he was beaten. Yes, he was taken down. Yes, he was mocked. Yes, he, he was falsely accused. Yes, he was mistreated. And yes, ultimately, he was put onto a cross in order to die a shameful death. But I'm here to tell you, that's not the end of the story. That's only part of the story. He went forward, not only to die, but to rise again three days later. And the Bible tells me, Philippians 2.11, Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at that name, 
every knee should bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Friend, who is Christ the Lord? This Savior who was born this day unto you is Christ the Lord. It's not about have to. It's about the fact that I get to. I get to have him as my Lord. I get to have him as my Christ. I get to have him as my anointed one. I get to have him as my king. Somebody needs to recognize today, you get to have that. This is good news. Yes, sin makes promises, but it makes promises that ultimately it could never be able to be able to deliver upon. But when God makes a promise, he always delivers. He always delivers. And we see that by the simple fact that he gave us the greatest gift imaginable, his son. If God gave me his son, why should I be in any doubt about the school I got to go to, the money I need, the spouse I need to be marrying, the part of the world I need to be living in, the next chapter of my life. He dealt with my biggest fear, which was my sin that kept me away from my maker. If he brought peace between me and God, what makes me think he won't do anything else that I would need in this lifetime? Friend, I don't know what your fear is. I don't know what that anxiety is. I don't know what it is that's causing you to spiral into dysfunction, but Jesus is alive and well, and he's here, and he's present today for you. And if Christmas is a message about anything, it's this, that the same God of the universe, who not only created the universe but presently sustains it, is the same God of Christmas. And therefore, fear is dead. Sin has been addressed and conquered. And your hope and your life is found with your Lord, with your Lord. He's not just the Lord of death. He's the Lord of your very life. He's not a God to be worshiped and served once I die and go to heaven. He's a God worthy of my worship and service here and now. And I want you to know him. I want you to know him, not because anybody else is telling you, but because God is present. God's here, and he wants you to know this himself. I'm going to invite, if I can, we're going to have a time to be able to give anyone an opportunity to respond if you wish. Just give you an opportunity to, if it matters to you and it means something to you, I want to invite you. If you need prayer, if you want to respond, if you're here today and let's say you're not a Christian, but after what you've heard today, you recognize that no matter what your story is, based on this Jesus, <laughs> there's still hope. <laughs> that ain't stopping him. You, you heard something right. And I want you to have an opportunity to know Christ for yourself and make that decision meaningful by coming forward if that matters to you. Maybe you're somebody here today. You've been far. You can't imagine how far you've been from where you first were in your relationship with God. But you're also realizing that this God that we're speaking of is a God who doesn't just come once. That's not the message of Christmas. The message of Christmas is there's always an advent. Advent means coming. Jesus came once, his first advent. He's coming again in his last advent, but he's here by his spirit, and he wants to come. The Bible says, I stand at the door and knock, Revelation 3. And if any man will come to the door and open and allow me in, I'll fellowship with him. Lay with me. Jesus is present. But you've got to be prepared to take that initial step where you say, you know what? You're better. You're better than her. You're better than him. You're better than that. You're better than anything that I thought was going to do it for me. You're better. That's the first step. Jesus will take over and he'll honor that. But you can't just be right there. I don't know where you're at. Maybe you're someone who you've been walking with God. You say, I'm walking with God, but I'm battling fear. I understand that. I'm battling fear. Jesus is here to take that on. You got no business carrying that on your shoulders when you got broad shoulders in your God to carry that in your place. The Bible says, cast your cares, your fears for that matter upon me, for I care for you. Isaiah said in Isaiah 41, fear 
not, neither be dismayed, for I am your God. I will help you. I will strengthen you. Watch this. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Fear not. And so I want to stand together if we could. If we have a chorus or something we could lead the people of God in, you feel led by the Lord. Of. We're just going to give you an opportunity as we lead out and close out this service. This is an opportunity for anyone, anyone. Make this moment meaningful. And the way you can make that meaningful is by connecting with God. I know the Holy Spirit is moving on people. Hallelujah. Father, we come to you right now. We draw near to you right now. Lord God, Spirit of God, move, we pray. Don't allow the enemy to rob this time from somebody who needs to go all the way and bring closure to this worship experience. I know we've heard your word, but we need to mix it. The reason why the writer of Hebrews tells us the people of Israel failed in the wilderness is because they did not mix God's promise with faith. The Bible says that anyone who wants to know God must first believe that he exists and that he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek after him. I want to see some diligent seekers. That's what a true worshiper is. Someone who diligently seeks after a God. I'm not going to allow my sin to get in between me and God. I'm not going to allow my struggles, my failures, my defeats, my shame, my guilt. Not with the God this good. Not with the God this great. Not with news this good. Not with news this great. I'm not going to allow anything any longer to get in between me and the God who loved me enough to send his son. God help me. God help me to take that initial step. God help me to enter in and become the person that you've called me to be. God help me to go on so that I could now live with purpose for a change. Find meaning for a change. Jesus, if you're Lord, you're Lord even of my life. C.S. Lewis once said, you don't have just any option. You got only a few options as far as what you're going to do with Jesus. C.S. Lewis, famed Christian apologist, said, look, the Bible only allows this. This Jesus, he's either a liar, he lied about everything he said or did, he's a lunatic, he's crazy and needs to be locked up somewhere, or, get this, he's Lord. He's Lord. Jesus is either a liar, He's either a lunatic or he's Lord. But you've got to make that decision right now. I've proclaimed him as Lord. Lord of heaven and earth. God of glory. Alpha and Omega. First and last. The same yesterday, today, and forever. The Word who was in the beginning. The Word who was, what, who was God. The one from whom, through whom, and to whom, and for whom all things were created. I've proclaimed him. The God who came down the shepherd of your soul, the good and great God, your Savior. He's here and he's present, but you've got to lay hold of him as such. And he's here. And I'm going to give you a chance to respond right now. Let's worship. Let's worship. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Because I just want you nothing else. Nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. And I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else. Nothing else would do, and I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else would do. I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. I just want you 
Nothing else Nothing else Nothing else will do Sing my hiding place Cause my hiding place And my sacred refuge My treasure My friend and king and anointed one and most holy and my hiding place, my safe refuge and my treasure. Lord, you are and my friend. Anointed one, most holy, my high place, my high place, my safe refuge, my treasure, Lord, you are. Oh, we worship you, my friend and king. Anointed one.
Cause I just want you Nothing else And nothing else And nothing else will do I just want you Nothing else Nothing else Nothing else will do I just want you Nothing else, nothing else, nothing else will do. And I just want you. Nothing else, nothing else, oh Jesus, nothing else will do. Father, we thank you for this time. Nothing else will do. That's all we want. The psalmist said in Psalm 73, Whom have I in heaven but you? Nothing else. And what is there to be desired upon this earth besides you? Nothing else. My heart and my flesh may fail, but God remains the strength of my heart and my portion forever. Nothing else. Nothing else will do. God, I pray that as you send us out of this place, Send all your people out, comforted, encouraged in their God, strengthened in their commitment to Christ, filled with all the goodness of God. Help them, Lord God, to be your hands and feet and your light in this world that's lost and dying in sin. God, I pray your blessing upon this church. I pray for glad and good news with great joy to fill every heart as we're going to be sharing a table and family rooms and living rooms with many family and friends and in some cases even people who are not even Christian where we'll have opportunities to extend the love of Jesus, to be Jesus' representatives wherever we are. I pray for your grace upon this church wherever we may find ourselves. Now I pray. Now may the love of our God and the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the communion of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen.